Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Resilient and Real. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ms. Jeannie Cepeda, Director of Children and Family Services. Hi, Jeannie. Hi, how are you? Great. Thank you so much for being on our show. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. One of the reasons that we invited you um, on is because we definitely want to hear more about Child Abuse Prevention Month. But before we go into that, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do for the county? Sure. So um, I started with the county in 83, I think. And most of my time I've spent in child welfare. So I started as a social worker, moved my way up to supervision and then management, became a deputy director over placement resources, which is the region that was responsible for all placement, um, wraparound, anything related to when a child is in foster care. And um, RFA, we our resource families are the ones that we license to accept foster youth. And then in um, November of 2021, I was promoted to interim director. In March, we celebrate National Social Work Month. So uh, were you celebrating that month as well? We absolutely were. Our social workers work so hard every day. And especially during the pandemic, they, they were still out there, you know, knocking on doors, checking on kids. Uh, making sure families were safe. And while other people got to stay home and telework, they were still out there and they really work hard. I'm so proud of them because they, you know, they, they rarely complain. Really, their their focus is on safety, especially because kids were not in school. So um, they were definitely concerned about, you know, kids not having as many eyes on them, as many supports, right. making sure that families have support. Um, it was, a, you know, it was a difficult time for everyone, but especially for those that are home and stressed. And, you know, that sometimes brings about some child abuse issues. And being a social worker is definitely, like you said, a hard job. I couldn't imagine having to do that. I'm so glad for people like you and and our staff and your staff that do that because it it is a life-saving job. Kind of reminds me of my mother-in-law, who is a NICU nurse, neonatal intensive care unit nurse. And I had this kind of same discussion with her and I said, wow, like I couldn't do that. And then she said, there's a lot to it, but there's a really great reward. So why did you get into the field of social work? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I hear that often. People tell me that all the time. I could never do your job. But I think I can't imagine not doing this job. I have wanted to be a social worker my whole life. And um, I've just always liked helping, I, you know, started out helping children. But then when you realize that you can make an impact on the whole family, and mm-hmm. our goal is always to avoid kids coming into care. So if you can make a family stronger and better and more supportive so they don't have to interact with child welfare, then that's that's a win. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if we do have to remove kids and they end up available for adoption, then watching Children be adopted is one of the highlights of our job because we get to see permanency for those kids. They get to actually have their own family. They get to know that they'll never have to move again. Um, They have aunts and uncles. And so that part is so rewarding, similar to probably what you're describing with, you know, the nursing. I honestly don't think I could do nursing, but, um, you know, they they would probably say the same thing about social work. But yeah, there's, there's ups and downs, but the idea of not being a social worker, I, I just can't imagine. Oh, I love that about San Bernardino County employees that a lot of us have that passion just to to help others by any means possible. So thank you for the work that you do. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about 
Child Abuse Prevention Month. The Child Abuse Prevention Treatment Act, um, it was passed in 1974. Um, It was the first federal child protection legislation. So it seems like it would be, it would have been a lot older than that, but it was, it was a little bit surprising when I first found out that it wasn't passed until 74. And actually, it was first observed in 1983 by proclamation by President Ronald Reagan. It hasn't been that long, but it's definitely super important. And I'm so glad that you guys are able to put this out there and have a lot of people listen about it because it's very important. I think one of the things you'll see is there's these pinwheels and the color blue that is emphasized during April. In 1989, the Blue Ribbon Campaign started as a woman named Bonnie Finney of Virginia. Her grandson was actually killed as a result of child abuse. And Mm -hmm. so that's why the color blue is now the Child Abuse Prevention Month color. And I do remember now that you said that, seeing seeing the pinwheels in the blue. Right. Yeah. The pinwheel became national awareness symbol in 2009. So that's more recent. And it's considered a cheerful and moving symbol of childhood. Oh, I love that. (laughs) So when you look at it and you think about what it's supposed to mean, it actually does make sense. Yes, it does. Thank you for explaining that. So why is it so important to talk about child abuse prevention? I mean, the whole purpose is to emphasize the importance of families and communities working together to strengthen the families and help prevent child abuse. And I can say that without your director, Dr. G, and all your staff that that help us and provide the mental health services for our youth, we would not be able to do this. So it really is a matter of people coming together and working together. One of the the things that helps prevent child abuse in a community is social connections. So it's about everybody coming together and supporting each other. Even just if you see that mom needs a break because she's, you know, stressed out, maybe having a bad day, just kind of offering that support. I think that that goes way further than what people think, especially if they're your neighbor or somebody you trust. Just being able to provide that support is is so helpful. And I think San Bernardino does a really good job. The department supporting each other. Um, I know I we work really closely with your department, probation, children's network. And without that collaboration, we definitely would not be able to be as successful and and getting that message out there and working with such great partners. So Jeannie, what should a person out in the community do? So I'll give you an example is um, one time I was actually uh, working at a different place, a, a, the private sector, and I heard just kind of yelling in the hallway, like, you know, stop it, you know, being really mean. And then I hear a child crying and everyone in the room just kind of looked at each, each other like, you know, what? Something's going on. And I think it was probably just like my motherly instinct. I just got up right away and like went down the hall and I'm like, oh, is everything okay? And he's, and the guy was standing there and I could see the little toddler like crying and he was just kind of taken aback that I had said something to him and he kind of got like puffed up. He's like, yeah, everything's fine. And I was like, oh, you know, I just heard a lot of yelling. So wanted to know if you needed help or if there was something I could do. He said, no, we're fine. And then he walked away. So was that the correct course of action or is there something I could have done differently or that you would recommend? I think that was great. I mean, I, I don't tell everybody to necessarily intervene, but you obviously felt comfortable enough and you came to the situation in a way that wasn't threatening or accusatory. So that's, that's usually helpful. You know, parents know when they're losing their temper or they're, they're short tempered with their kids and, and maybe somebody just saying, Hey, 
is there something I can do to help you? It's right. very different from what are you doing? Are you hurting him? You know, it's a different, right. a different tone. Um, but there's definitely times that we, if you think a child is being abused, that you call our hotline just so that we can investigate and make sure that their children are safe or that the family has any supports that they may need. There's a lot of people out there struggling financially, and they may not know about our TAD office or department or they, maybe they need to be referred for mental health support. So sometimes we go out there and we are just able to provide some resources. We also inform families about 211 that's available and has over 1,100 agencies, 3,500 programs, and, and so many services to offer that sometimes people just don't know. And what do you say to those people who, you know, I've heard this before, I know something's happening with, you know, cousin so-and-so, but I don't want to call anybody because I don't want to break up the family. Yeah, we get that a lot. And I think I'm most surprised that people still don't know that you can call in anonymously. You don't have to be a mandated reporter. Obviously, if you're a mandated reporter, you do have to state your name, but anyone can call in anonymously to report if they, they suspect that a child is being abused. So if they do call in and report anonymously and their thought is, you know, me calling in is going to take this child away from their parents. They're going to go into the foster care system and and it's just going to destroy their lives. Maybe you can talk a little bit about why that's a fallacy. Yeah, and I'm glad you asked that because one of my personal main goals um, being director here is that I, I really want everyone to know what we're really about and that it's not about what you just described. Right. There are instances that we do have to remove kids, but it really is if we have no other option. So if we go out on a referral and we see that the family just needs support of some kind, we really try to do everything we possibly can to keep families together, keep the family safe and just provide that support that sometimes that's what they need. They need the resources or they might need the support. You know, our, our county is rich in, in resources, and I think sometimes people just aren't aware of them. So we will do everything to make sure that parents are are equipped with whatever they need to cope effectively with the stressors of raising children. And that's that's our goal, actually. Yeah, my husband, actually, one of his first careers when he got into college was working at a group home. And I remember he had, you know, access to these kids' cases. And, and for the most part, he, you know, he didn't share with me, but he said they were pretty bad. And he said, you know, at the end of the day, every single one of those kids just wanted to be back with their mom or dad. Like their desire was to be back with their mom and dad. And I guess you can understand it as as a child, you know, like no one can really replace your mom or dad. But from the outside looking in, it was like, why do you want to be with this person that that hurts you so bad? Right. And we do get that often. And kids obviously want to be with their families. And, and so that's why one of the important things is even if we do have to remove because the situation requires it, we do try to place with families first. And so we have resource family approval through CFS where we can um, certify a an aunt or an uncle to provide that placement for that youth until we can figure out what the family needs to get back together. Because even when we do remove, the goal is still to get the family back together, provide resources and services to both kids and parents so that they can reunify. But if they don't reunify, then that's that's where we start moving down the road of, of adoption. Right. 
So I'm so thankful that you took some time out of your very busy schedule to talk to us. I'm I'm personally very, very passionate about the, you know, children and, and life and all of that. I myself am a CASA volunteer because I would love to ha- be able to, to foster or adopt a kid, but it's just really not where we are in our life family-wise right now. But the alternative to that for me is being a court-appointed special advocate for a foster youth because... I do think it's just absolutely needed to come in and support kids and families in in these difficult times for sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I I love the CASA volunteers. They definitely are the the friend, the adult friend of our kids. And many times they can advocate for things that we just don't know about. Sometimes kids share with their CASAs things that they haven't necessarily shared with a social worker. And, And so us working collaboratively with the CASA worker just, it, it just actually really helps the case. So maybe in closing, you can share a highlight of your career or a story that really has, that really touched you throughout the years. A couple of years ago, I, you know, a lot of people think that there's an age that's just too old for a child to be adopted. And, and that's just, it's not true. Kids get adopted at all ages. It might take a little bit longer because when people think of adopting, they usually think of babies, but mm-hmm. I remember um, I was working with the ILP youth, which is the Independent Living Program youth, and they're 16, 16 to 21. And I remember a 16-year-old coming up to me and being so excited because her foster family had decided to adopt her and made it a surprise. And so she had always wanted that, but she was a little afraid to tell them, but they had talked about it a little bit. And she was so excited that she was finally getting adopted. And she talked about how she no longer had to worry about turning 18 and getting kicked out, which foster families don't kick kids out at 18, but but sometimes they think they will. And so she, she was just happy. She said, I finally get my home, my family again. And I haven't had family in over 10 years. So it was a really, really neat experience. And that beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I was happy. It kind of, those kind of stories make it all worth it. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for the work that you do. And while you were talking, I just remembered, I don't know if you know this, but our interim director, Dr. Yoshioka, was actually in the foster care system for some time. And so was our assistant director, Michael Knight. Yeah, I do. I oh, okay. um, I often talk to Dr. G and and yeah, she has shared that with me, which is which is amazing. Yeah, I love stories like that too. Look how amazing she turned out. Yes, absolutely. Director Jeannie Zepeda, thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it. The Department of Children and Family Services encourages everyone to report suspected child abuse and neglect. Reports can be made anonymously. To report child abuse or neglect, call 1-800-827-8724 or call your local police department. If the situation is urgent, call 911. For more information about children and family services, visit hs.sbcounty.gov slash CFS. Being resilient and real also means practicing self-care, whether that means going on a hike, reading a book, or putting down our phones. So each episode will feature a DBH employee and share how they practice self-care in a segment we call Self-Care Corner. I'm Rainbow Lee. I'm in the uh, contract monitoring and audit, and my job title is Accountant 3. I first do exercise. Doesn't matter, uh, 10 minutes, 5 minutes. And also, I'll think about 
what I gone through during the day, how I can do uh, better or differently if I could not let go. Um, I know that happens sometimes, but I try to talk to people, talk to friends about it just to get them out of my chest. I feel pretty good. Of course, another part is I take care of my body, eating well uh, on time and Self-control is what I focus on, how to control myself, because I can manage myself. I cannot control anything outside my body or my mind. That's how I take care of myself, physically and mentally. Life is short. I make myself happier if I take care of myself first, and then I will have the ability to take care of my family, friends, and that's why I see self-care so important. Thank you for listening to another episode of Resilient and Real. As always, if you'd like to share your story on the podcast or have any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at dbh-publicrelations at dbh.sbcounty.gov. Remember to follow us on social media for all things DBH. Until next time, live life resilient and real. Resilient and real.